In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. For the past few years, there's been a lecture series given by Harvard that's open to the public. A friend of mine emailed me the information, and I really wish I could have attended a few of those lectures. The topic was around science and food, science and cooking, science in the kitchen. The lectures included such titles as The Science of Sugar, Al dente, when plastic meets elastic. (laughs) Gastronomy, with a scientist from NASA. You get it? Astro, gastronomy. And then my favorite, and the one that I think just begs for audience participation, the one entitled Heat Transfer and Chocolate. (laughs) There's a part of me that thinks that if I went to lectures like those... If I took the right class on the science of cooking, if I read the right book and could retain the information, then I would never make mistakes in the kitchen. Nothing would ever be burned, nothing ever undone or underdone, no strange chemical reactions. Like my friend Anne, I would know exactly what to do when it's a particularly humid day. I'd know how to adjust in the baking for that. Or when the oven is fast or slow, I'd know what to do about that. I like to imagine that armed with the right information and know-how, I could control the outcome. I could ensure good results. I would not do very well in a world of manna. Manna, that food we hear about in our first reading, that mystery referred to in the psalm and then the gospel again harkens back to manna. Manna was that strange flaky stuff that God provided God's people wandering around in the wilderness. Some biblical scholars nowadays like to imagine it was a particular pod that's found in some deserts. It's the same sort of pod that John the Baptist uh, seemed to exist on. Who knows? But if you read the Bible, it came straight from the hand of God. It was a mystery. But it was a strange, strange thing. No assurances came with manna. You couldn't save manna. It was daily manna, like chicken salad at a summer picnic. You had to eat it right away or bad things might happen. Put in the sun, manna would melt. Left overnight, it would spoil. If unnoticed, it would become wormy. This manna was food, it seems, but it was more than food because it was meant to be consumed with a a side of faith. More than a side of faith, a whole plateful, really. All of one's faith was needed to recognize the manna and be receptive for the care that God would give. It took faith for the people of Israel to to go to sleep each night and and rest secure, knowing that God would provide the next day. It's perhaps from this old, old story that the prayer began to form, that prayer Jesus would know and then repeat to his disciples, that prayer we repeat that asks for daily manna, daily bread. 
When we say the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread, this is a part of what we're praying for, isn't it? It's a reaffirmation at some level that, that no science class, no proficiency in the kitchen, no steady source of food or income or ability will sustain us ultimately. We need more. We need bread not only for just right now, but we need bread for tomorrow as well and all the challenges that tomorrow may bring. Biblical scholars love to point out that the grammar of the Aramaic in the Lord's Prayer actually conveys a sense of praying for more than tomorrow. It's praying for the future of some unspecific time. Rowan Williams, the former Archbishop of Canterbury, reflects on this bread for tomorrow and its connection with Holy Communion. He writes, Some people in the early church understood this phrase from the Lord's Prayer to mean the bread we want for tomorrow, or even the bread of tomorrow. Give us today tomorrow's bread. And they thought that might mean, give us now a taste of the bread we shall eat in the kingdom of God. Give us a foretaste of that great banquet and celebration where the universe is drawn together by Christ in the presence of God the Father. Williams concludes, Holy Communion is at one level bread for today. It's very much our daily bread. It's the food we need to keep going, but it's also a foretaste of the bread of heaven, a foretaste of enjoying the presence of Jesus in heaven at his table, at his banquet. Today's gospel picks up really where last week left off. Last week we talked about the thousands who were fed from just the few loaves and fish. And this week the people are still hungry. But they don't so much want more food, they want more action. They want to see more from Jesus. They want more magic, more signs, more proof that Jesus is really God come to meet them. Jesus lays their hunger bare when he tells them, don't look to me to feed you, at least not in the way you think you're doing it. Don't look to me expecting food that lasts forever. Look deeper. Look deeper at where I get my food. Look deeper for the food that endures for eternal life. And yet the people persist. They, they know their Bible, or at least they know the stories. And they remind Jesus that, that God gave Israel the, that sign of manna in the wilderness. So if Jesus is from God, surely he can do the same. But Jesus again says to them, look to God for the true bread from heaven. Look to God for the bread that comes down and gives life to the world. And then Jesus says those words we live with. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never thirst. What a wonderful promise that is. We will always have what we need, come what may, whatever tomorrow brings. If we stay in relationship with Christ, we are fed and we always will be fed. We'll be fed spiritually and every other way. Often that's hard for us to believe. It's hard for us to, to hold on to. And so we, we settle for the equivalent of spiritual junk food. 
Or maybe if we're feeling particularly holy on one day, we we grab the equivalent of a, a spiritual nutrition bar and we run out the door. But stepping away from the table of the Lord, we can begin to drift. And like in any relationship, when we drift from that person, things change. They just do. Think of an old friend who we forget to return the call for, or we forget to send a note, or we don't respond to the email, and so time passes and we lose track of it. And before long, we're not really all that connected. And so then something happens, and we're surprised when there's big news that happened to our friend, and yet we weren't told about it. (laughs) Then we realize, oh right, we've drifted a little. We've lost touch. Not long ago, I had the television on, and a long-distance runner was being interviewed, and they were asking the runner for her insight on drinking water, especially in hot weather. And they asked her, how much water do you drink when you're running a race? How much water do you drink along the way? And she explained that it had taken her a while to figure this out, but that she had learned over time that she has to drink water before she feels thirsty. Otherwise, it's too late. Her body's already being dehydrated, and she's already lost energy and operating at less than capacity. I think that's a wonderful image for the spiritual life. We, we go a distance and we don't notice that we've moved away from Christ until we're already spiritually dry and we're a little dehydrated and we're wondering, well, something's off and I'm, I'm not feeling connected to God and I don't feel like I have a focus. Wonder what's going on. And then we remember, oh, right, I've drifted a little. It's never too late to have that drink of water, but it can be later, and it can take more work to overcome that distance. So the church invites us, invites us weekly to eat and drink at this table, to be in communion with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. By taking into ourselves the body of Christ, the blood of Christ, we become one with Jesus and the Father through the Spirit. Communion happens to us. It happens in us. It overtakes us. Communion is God moving toward us, inviting us, longing for us to be in deeper relationship with God. Communion then is our reaching out to one another and to those beyond these walls as we contain the body of Christ and we take him into the world. Christ gives us the strength we need to do all of those difficult-sounding things that the Apostle Paul talks about in his letter to the Ephesians. It's Christ's feeding us that allows us to be those people who teach the faith, those people who, who follow in practical ways, those people who can tell others about our faith, those who offer care and prayer and healing those who in many ways, large and small, help in building up the body of Christ. Paul says we must no longer be children tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine. But we eat and drink of the body and blood so that we might grow up into Christ, being the body of Christ. Bread for today is a gift and bread for tomorrow is our prayer. It's the prayer we live into. We're called to live 
with hope and faith for whatever is ahead, knowing that we will have enough to eat and drink, we'll have enough to sustain us. Whatever may be challenging us personally or in our family or in a relationship or at work, whatever is worrying us, God invites us to have the faith that when tomorrow comes or next week or next year or next whatever it is, God will give us the resources, the people, the prayer, the strength. Whatever it is that we need, God will provide. We may have problems that seem unsolvable, but with tomorrow's bread come new answers, new solutions, new insight, new friends in the faith, new resources we could not have imagined having. Late summer is a good time for us to think about what it means for us to live with faith, for us to trust that God will feed us tomorrow. There's still time for vacation, for rest, for getting things in order this summer, but already plans are being made for a new school year, a new work year, a new program year with church. And so the scriptures ask us all, I think, in what ways might God be inviting us to live toward bread for tomorrow, to live on trust, to live on faith? In what ways might we be invited to do a little summer clearing out in our spiritual cupboards to get rid of the things we've relied on overmuch and to trust anew in God? What new places might God be calling us to, to live more closely for some new word, some new insight that will feed and sustain us for a new place of faith? Jesus reminds us of the communion that matters more than any other, that communion with him through his body and blood. I am the bread of life, he promises us. Whoever comes to me will never hunger. Whoever is with me will never thirst. Thanks be to God that we are fed today and tomorrow. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.